And now we welcome back in Jimmy Stein to talk a little bit of Alabama LSU. Obviously, Alabama had the bye week last week, Jimmy. Uh, I think that was pretty important as far as getting some guys healthy, uh, continuing to build on some of the positive things that we saw in the second half against Tennessee. But this LSU team is going to provide a different set of challenges for this Alabama defense and really this Alabama team. Uh, Granted, I think from a breakdown standpoint, we'll probably talk about the LSU defense versus the Alabama offense today. And then we'll be talking about the Alabama defense versus the LSU offense probably tomorrow or Wednesday. And that way you kind of get a preview of both sides of the football. And it's it's such an interesting matchup because you have what many view as a weakness for Alabama, which is the offensive side of the football versus LSU, who's got a defense that's been struggling. And then you've got, you know, the next conversation that we'll have will include Alabama's, you know, close to elite defense versus LSU's elite offense. And so it's a very intriguing matchup on paper. Uh, But, you know, we'll talk about the LSU defense versus Alabama's offense, kind of start things off because, you know, there's been struggles for both of those sides of the football for each of these teams. So, Jimmy, what's your thoughts on Alabama's offense? And if you want to, you can go ahead and start talking about how you think that matches up against LSU's defense. Yeah, it really feels like they're the – the struggle units, right? I mean, the, the, you know, when, when it's this side of the ball and Alabama's got the ball, it feels like you're looking out on the field at two two struggle units. I mean, uh, it hasn't been pretty all the time for either group, yet each group has a handful of star football players. Um, I think Alabama's offense is well described by just describing the offensive line. And by that, I mean – I think the offensive line to some extent has gotten over-criticized because they have improved. They do run the ball well at times and run the ball to the right side extremely well. Uh, it's when they run it to the left side that there's been a, a, a more of a struggle and it makes for an inconsistent offense because you can't just run to the same side all the time. Consequently, even in pass protection, the offensive line has been over-criticized you look at the sack number for the season, and it's something like 35, I believe, maybe more by now. But but that number sounds ridiculously bad, and it is. But it's not all on the offensive line. The quarterback is responsible for a lot of those sacks, a whole lot of them, frankly. Uh, and the running backs have also given up a, a larger number of sacks than you would find at most places. So I think the offensive line has not been a strong point for Alabama but it's also been over-criticized. Latham on the right side has played like an All-American. He's very likely to be a first-round pick and has played like a first-round pick all season. Tyler Booker is on track to also one day be an All-American and very possibly a first-round draft pick. He's been fine or better than fine. The other three spots have been a little more problematic uh, with the center uh, and, and the right guard sort of being you know, shuffled around by, by, by about three different players. Uh, and then left tackle, we know, has been probably the biggest problem of the three. But the point is, Alabama's offensive line sort of describes the offense as a whole. Hey, there's some really good players there. There's some really good play there. But it's not consistent, and there are issues. Uh, and, and that's how I describe Alabama's offense as a whole, just not consistent. There are flashes of greatness and stretches of bad play. So to me, Clint, it doesn't really matter that LSU has struggled because Alabama has struggled. And and I don't think just because LSU hasn't been great on defense, that means, hey, watch out, here comes the Alabama offensive explosion. I think what you're likely to see on offense from Alabama is more of the same, which is a lot of flash, a lot of big plays, a lot of great moments, some individual players that do wow things but probably not a 60-minute consistent performance that makes you feel like, hey, all that struggle is behind them. They're great now. Uh, I think it's just going to continue to be sort of a, 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 a developmental group that, that gets better each week, but improvement is not linear. Sometimes it goes a little sideways before it can go forward again. So I'm expecting to see a lot of great, some good, and some bad and Alabama fans just need to hope that adds up to more points than LSU's got. Yeah, you, you would think 
if you're an Alabama fan, you kind of want this game to play out in a somewhat similar fashion to the Ole Miss game. And what I mean by that, obviously, Ole Miss's offense doesn't touch LSU's, at least where it's currently at. But Ole Miss has a good quarterback. They have a veteran quarterback who's played a lot of football. He's been a dual threat problem uh, for a majority of the season. They have some weapons in the passing game. Uh, you know, Quinshaw Judkins, you know, he was less than 100%. That certainly factored into things, but they got, you know, a couple of other pretty good running backs as well. So they've got a nice little complimentary run game. They like to run the football, but defensively, they had kind of struggled. You know, they've been struggling for the last several years. And so when you combine that with the Bryant-Denny Stadium crowd and the fact that that's going to be at Alabama's defense's back, uh, you would hope that they could limit the LSU offense. You're not going to stop this style of offense for four quarters, in my opinion. Uh, you can do that against Ole Miss and hold a very good offense to 10 points. I don't think you're doing that against LSU. I think kind of bare minimum, you're probably looking at somewhere in the 20s. Uh, wouldn't be shocked at all if you saw it kind of get closer to the low 30s. And then you've got to start talking about, okay, you know, so if Alabama needs to score 30-plus points to win this game, can they do that offensively? Against a defense like this, you saw some limited success for Alabama's offense in the first half against Ole Miss really throughout the entire game, but they started to figure things out in the second half. And so it's possible that you might see a, you know, a mid-20s again, and then it ends up being a 24-27 final score, you know, one way or the other. Or maybe they, you know, they get into the low 30s and it's a 34-31 final score. Or maybe, you know, Alabama was able to do enough and they win 34-24. You know, so there's a lot of different scenarios where it plays out that way. And so it will be more high scoring than the old Miss Alabama game. But what I mean is you saw their offense being limited uh, due to Alabama's good defensive play and Bryant-Denny home crowd and the fact that, you know, penalties and stuff like that typically favors the home team. That combination limited Ole Miss's success. Um, but, you know, we talked a lot about – I feel like everybody right now, and this is why I want to, wanted to start with Alabama's offense versus LSU's defense because everybody is focusing on the other sides of the football. And I do think that that warrants a conversation. I think it's it's absolutely critical to the outcome of this game. But I also think that we're not talking enough about the two, what you described as the two struggle units. Um, and that's why I wanted to talk about it, because I think there's a couple of things to point out when it comes to LSU's defense. A, they allow a lot of explosive plays. Uh, Alabama has been pretty good at producing explosive plays. They rank near, you know, in the top 30, as far as gains of 20-plus yards, they rank in the top 20 as far as gains of 40-plus yards. And LSU is ranking down there, you know, near ranking around 100 uh, in the country as far as allowing those explosive plays. And so when you look at that, you say, okay, maybe Alabama can continue to have the success that it's had in the way that it's had it as far as, uh, you know, uh, LSU's run defense has not been great. Their pass defense hasn't been great either. It's really across the board defensively. There's no statistical category as far as the major ones that you look at other than interceptions, and you say, okay, they've been pretty good in this area. So you would think Alabama can continue to do what it's done and, and be comfortable in, which is the the deep shots, pressing defenses vertically, running the football. I think they'll have some success doing that. But I also think that you can maybe add in the wrinkle of the short to intermediate game to maybe complement that a little bit more than we've seen up to this point. If there's one thing that's going to help Alabama in terms of what where LSU has particularly struggled on defense, Clint, is uh, they don't rush the passer really well, or at least their overall numbers aren't good. I think they're dead last in the SEC in sacks, which is absolutely stunning when you look at a handful of their individual players like Harold Perkins and you're like, how in the world can they be last? But they, they haven't rushed the passer really well. They don't have great numbers against the run. Uh, there's not a lot of turnovers caused there. Uh, in, th in that sense, you would figure Alabama's going to feast to an extent. And I do believe their lack of getting pressure on the quarterback is something that's going to help Alabama a lot because that's probably been the number one issue for Alabama is the pressure on Milrow. But – However, my worry, or because I'll worry about all of it, but my worry will be, well, maybe the LSU pass rush doesn't get there 
and and and, and Milro and Alabama will hold on to the ball exceptionally long in the pocket, and they'll just hold on to it for six seconds instead of four seconds, and still ultimately end up with a covered sack. Uh, also, this, like I said, their sack numbers aren't great, but Harold Perkins is great, and they're going to look at where Alabama has struggled on the offensive line at left tackle. And uh, you can bet right now, go ahead and chisel this in rock, that Harold Perkins is going to line up as a pass rusher, uh, going head up on Proctor as many times as LSU can do and get away with. I think it's going to be one of their primary game plans is, hey, let's put Perkins on Proctor and force Alabama to move a tight end over there and sort of uh, let's make this a, 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 you know, a nine on 10 game uh, where, where Alabama's always having to double uh, Perkins when he lines up over there. I, I think that's going to be a cat and mouse thing that we see for 60 minutes is LSU trying to get that matchup and Alabama, do we use a tight end? Do we not? Uh, and, and and you can probably bet that Perkins is going to get a sack or two. I mean, you know, it, it's just the right matchup for him. And uh, he, he's a, he's a phenomenal player. They have others like Mason Smith and, and uh, Wingo and, you know, they're, they're, they're good. They're, they have individual good players. It's almost surprising that the defense has, has, uh, has not put up numbers for them. Uh, where I think Alabama is going to take particular advantage is the quarterback run game. We saw more of it in the second half first Tennessee. Uh, I think Milrow is now, I'm going to use the word fresh. I think this off week has, has freshened them a little bit. I think there'll be more of an emphasis on Milrow's legs down the stretch I'm not talking about a, a metamorphosis where he's where there's 10, 15 quarterback design runs a game. I don't think Alabama wants to do that. I don't think Milrow wants to do that. I think they just want Milrow to run enough to make the defense respect it and account for it. And, and then they can take advantage in other areas. But I do think we're going to see more aggression with Milrow's legs. Uh, and this is the right game for it. He's coming off the bye week, so he's going to be a little more healthy. And frankly, we're, you know, Jason McClellan's coming off a really good game, too. Uh, I think for Alabama to have success against LSU, Clint, uh, Milrow is going to have to rush for, let's say, well more than 50 yards and, and, and maybe even closer to 80 or 80 or 90. And, uh, and Jace get up over that 100-yard mark again. If those two things happen, Clint, I feel really good because that not only shows Alabama can control the line of scrimmage to some extent, uh, it keeps LSU's offense off the field. Yeah, and speaking of Harold Perkins, um, you know they've they've done some different things with him this year. They kind of moved him more to an off-ball linebacker role. They were heavily criticized early in the year for doing that, particularly against FSU, uh, because they really feel like he could have bolstered their pass rush. They started using him a little bit more as an edge guy, like I think 160 of close to, uh, I want to say he's closing in on 500 snaps. About a third of his snaps this year have come as an edge player. 92 of those came in a two-week period against Arkansas and Ole Miss in weeks four and five. For comparison, the last three games, he's only seen 25 total. So he's averaging, you know, 8.3 snaps on the edge in the last three games. But when they were going against offenses that you kind of worried about with quarterbacks who kind of brought that dual threat uh, ability and such, um, you did see a lot of Harold Perkins on the edge, and I, I foresee that being something that they use in this game, so fans should go ahead and probably expect that. Alabama should expect it. You're also probably going to see Perkins because of his closing speed and how effective he was doing it against Bryce Young last year. You're probably going to see some QB spying out of him, uh, so you're going to see him deployed in a variety of ways just like you saw last year, in my opinion. That's, that should be the expectation. And then if you don't get that, well, that's, in my opinion, that's only going to benefit Alabama's offense because if you're not putting him on the edge much, uh, their their pass rush has been very limited this season. And you're taking, you know, I wouldn't quite say he's a Micah Parsons caliber pass rusher, but I would say he's one of the better pass rushers in college football. And you're, you know, not allowing him to play with strength. So I'd be very shocked um, if that ended up being the case. And they're going to move him around and cre- try to create those mismatches and Alabama doesn't necessarily have to leave a tight end in uh, to help Proctor. It could just be chipping like they did against Tennessee, which I thought was very effective. That's a delayed route. You know, they can become a pass catcher, someone you have to account for in the passing game, but it's delayed. And it's more of a safety blanket style of player, uh, you know, second, third, fourth, three type of thing. Uh, but at least, you know, that's another guy going out for a route. And I will, 
this week will be interesting because when you look at LSU, um, there's a couple of things, and and I'll get to the receivers here in a second. But as you mentioned, the dual threat ability, like Jordan Travis ran for 38 yards in a touchdown. Uh, KJ Jefferson had 48 yards. Uh, Jackson Dart had 50 yards in a touchdown. So, and in all three of those games, 11 yards per attempt per pass attempt, 9.3 yards per attempt for for KJ Jefferson and 10 yards per attempt for Jackson Dart. So you had these dual threat quarterbacks who were being very efficient, hitting the explosive plays downfield and also utilizing their legs. You know, they didn't, they weren't going for a hundred plus yards or anything like that, but you got a touchdown out of two of them. You're, you know, between 40 and 50 yards. And when you account sacks into that, you know, a lot of these guys would probably be closer to 50 or uh, 50 to 60 yards. So I think that, the way that LSU plays defense and the way that Alabama's offense can attack that, I think that kind of lends itself to a, a style of player like Jalen Milrow who can do both of those two things, which is pressing vertically and using his legs when he's willing to. Uh, I think that kind of bodes well for his ability. Yeah, I think that those will be the, you know, it's been sort of Alabama's two best uh, threats all year offensively is Milrow's legs, the threat of it anyway, to some extent, the, the production, but the threat. And secondly, uh, the deep ball. And, and I think it's going to be there against LSU both. As you pointed out, uh, other dual threat quarterbacks have had good days with their legs. And, and, and conversely, it leads to good days with the arm. Uh, and, and it's going to be kind of on, on Milrow to do that. I, I think one interesting challenge for Milrow in terms of putting this in his ear, not that the kid ever lacks for motivation. He doesn't. He's going to play great regardless. But, uh, you know, Jaden Daniels is coming into this game as, as, as the Heisman leader. Uh, per on threes, uh, five national experts, uh, they all, as of this week, as of this week, all five would vote for Jaden Daniels to win the Heisman Trophy. So in my mind, uh, he's the leader uh, going into this week. And what you can, you know, motivate Milrow a little bit with is, you know, hey, you play step for step with this guy and you have changed the narrative about you and where you land on the national map. And, I mean, this is a, just a great opportunity. It reminds me, and I'm not saying it's going to play out this way, Clint, but it reminds me of 2015, I think it was, or, or uh, yeah, 2015, when Leonard Fournette came to Tuscaloosa as the Heisman favorite, and Alabama absolutely stuffed him, ruined his Heisman season. Uh, Fournette was never in the picture again after the Alabama game, and, in fact, ultimately was replaced at the top of the Heisman heat by Alabama's Derrick Henry. Uh, now, I'm not even suggesting even, you know, at all that, that Milrow can do that insofar as 2023. It's too late to do that. There's not a resume for that in 2023. But it does put him on the 2024 map, you know, and, and all, he, all he has to do, this simple task, is, uh, is, is replicate or play with Jaden Daniels stride for stride. Have the same type of impact statistically and on the outcome of the game that Jaden Daniels does. And I think Milrow's really capable of that type of performance against the LSU defense, but it's going to have to come both ways, not just with his arm like he did against Texas A&M, but a little bit like he did in the second half against Tennessee. It's going to have to be his arm with the vertical shots, which he's we know he's really talented with, and, uh, and ultimately his legs. I think it's there for the taking. He's just got to score uh, in the 30s and put up good, efficient numbers, both arm and legs. Yeah, when you talk about quarterbacks that have played LSU's defense, you know, I mentioned Jordan Travis and KJ Jefferson and Jackson Dart and and Brady Cook would be the fourth. Not really a dual threat guy, but he put up over 400 yards passing and 8.7 yards per attempt when he played LSU. Um and so like I said, the the yards per attempt, I mean all of those four quarterbacks have had eight anywhere from 8.7 yards per attempt to 11 yards. And so that's right falls right in there with Jalen Milrow. The other thing that some of those guys did though, that um, if you're an Alabama fan, you have to be hoping that Jalen Milrow can avoid is Jordan Travis had an interception. KJ Jefferson had two, Brady cook had two. Uh, so if there's one thing that this LSU defense has done fairly well this year, it's generating interceptions. And so you would hope that, you know, that's kind of been a problem for Milrow at times this year. And you can hope that he can, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if he had one. If he, if he has two or more, then you start 
even, evening out some of the advantage that Alabama has as far as the home crowd is concerned. Because the, that those types of turnovers and plays can take the crowd out of it. And so that's certainly something to to watch. Now, granted, you've also had those guys, you know, two of those guys total three fumbles between them, but none of them have been lost. So ball security needs to be something that Jalen Milrow, you know, uh, is weary of as far as standing in the pocket and making sure he doesn't get strip sacked or anything like that, because that can that's the same thing as interception. Uh, as far as the pass catchers are concerned, I think Amari Black, Nye Black, is in for a really big week. And and the reason that I say that is when you look, Jaheim Bell, uh, who's more of a, you know, he's, he's in some ways he's, um, you know, you've seen him used as a running back. He's a, a tight, he's listed as a tight end, but he's more so a receiver. He's 6'3", he's 239 pounds. He goes for two catches, 49 yards and a touchdown. Uh, the Arkansas tight end, the freshman, before he got hurt, he went six for 116 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Price Corn for Ole Miss, three for 41. Uh, Brandon Frazier for Auburn, a tight end. He has been targeted three times this entire season. He has 52 uh, yards receiving, and he has one touchdown this entire season. He's played in every game, uh, 141 snaps in eight games. All three of the catches, every yard, and the touchdown came against LSU. So they've struggled against tight ends, but it's not just tight ends. It's big-body receivers, too, which is essentially what Nye Black is. Keon Coleman for FSU went off, you know, 6'4", 215. Johnny Wilson went 7 for 104, also with FSU, 6'7", 237. Uh, Andrew Armstrong for Arkansas, long, 6'4", frame, 6 for 76. Uh, Tyrone Broden who has played 253 snaps in eight games against LSU. He has three catches for 31 yards and a touchdown in every other game. In the other seven, he has a total of six catches for 52 yards. Uh, Trey Harris for Ole Miss, eight catches for 153 yards and a touchdown. So all of these guys, and Trey Harris isn't as big, 6'2", 205, but they struggle with athletic tight ends, really tight ends in general. They, they struggle with size, period. Size and length they've had a really hard time containing those styles of player. And so I think Amari in the black matching up against them, he's kind of, he, I wouldn't say he's taking a backseat. He's certainly still been involved, but this could be a game where he ends up having, you know, 60, 70, maybe even more yards on, you know, four catches, five catches, maybe a touchdown, maybe two touchdowns. But I would, I would probably put him on my short list of guys who can make a major impact in this game. Oh, I like it a lot. Um, and, and obviously he's a little bit due for that game, frankly. He's been he's he's he showed up. He's been a guy this year. He's been a guy, but he hasn't been a Duke. And, and I think he's he's one big game away from sort of being a dude in that in that wide receiver group. I know early in the season, Clint Alabama was sort of almost alternating as who would have the big game, this guy or this guy, who would lead the team in receiving. And now Black was one of those guys. I think in the first six games, Alabama had six different wide receiver or or eligible receivers lead the team in uh, in passing yards. Now, late in the season, that sort of flipped a little bit to Jermaine Burton sort of establishing himself as wide receiver one. And to me, he's a guy that could also have a huge game. You know, Burton's, a, he's an odd guy. I mean, he's, he's, as we watch him play, you know, he's a little different. He's cut from a little bit different cloth. But one thing that I think is going to uh, inspire Burton in this game is, look, just about every game Alabama plays, or I should say every single game Alabama plays, they have a handful of NFL scouts. They're down on the sidelines before the games start, watching the guys warm up, and then they move up to the box and uh, watch the game and make their notes. Look, when Alabama plays LSU, it's like Pavlov's bell. I mean, the bell rings, and then scouts show up. There, there will likely be scouts from almost every single NFL team at this game because that's what Alabama LSU does. <laughs> they Both of them flood the NFL with players and the scouts want to see NFL prospects match up with other NFL prospects. They don't care as much that an Alabama guy has a big game against Chattanooga, but they care a lot when the guy has a big game against LSU, because even with LSU struggles on defense, a lot of these guys are going to play pro football, right? So I think Jermaine Burton is the type of kid that is can sort of be motivated by that. He's a senior. He's not at the forefront of this wide receiver group in this draft class, 
but he's kind of on the precipice. I, I know that the I know that the Senior Bowl likes him a ton, and he's highly likely to be invited and participate in the Senior Bowl, which is a big deal. But if he has a couple of big games here, like against LSU and against his old team Georgia in the SEC championship game, that can be things that just boost his and it can knock him into day two, which I think is a a realistic possibility for Jermaine Burton is day two because he'll have the size and he'll have the speed. I think at Indianapolis, what he needs is to be a dude. They take dudes day two. They don't take, Oh, well he can run fast. No, they take dudes on day two. And this is Jermaine Burton's opportunity a little bit like Nyblacks, but uh, with Burton being a senior Clint, I, I think uh, this game could be sort of a launching pad for him. Yeah. It, I agree with that. Um, and you know, it's like, it's like John Mechie, like you watched him and from a size perspective, uh, you know, wasn't anything special from a speed perspective, wasn't really anything special, but he was an elite route runner. He understood how to get open and don't get me wrong. He brought some size, you know, he wasn't like he was a very under, he was 175 pound receiver, 180 pounds or anything like that. And as far as speed, it wasn't like he was slow by any means. It was just you wouldn't have expected him to be taken as early on day two as he was, especially coming off of a torn ACL like he was, that he had just suffered in December, like five months prior. But he went up there because he's just a guy who not only it was underrated as a vertical threat, but also he could win at all three levels, and he just understood how to get open. And for Jermaine Burton, he's not John Mechie. He's not that to me, he's not that caliber of he doesn't bring that dominance that Mechie does, but he can win at all three levels of the field. I think he's faster than John Mechie. Uh, he's proving that this year. And, you know, th- that there's something to be said for that. And in these types of big games, you're 100% correct where he could kind of vault himself into that day two conversation. Do I think he's going to be a second round pick or a first round pick? Probably not. But when you start getting into you're looking for a wide receiver two or maybe a, a high-end wide receiver three, you know, once you start getting into the latter part of day two, I certainly think Jermaine Burton's going to be in that conversation, and he will solidify himself in that conversation if he puts up a big performance in, in a game like Saturday or against Auburn or, as you mentioned, you know, against Georgia in the SEC championship if Alabama make it, makes it or the college football playoff. Uh, so that is interesting. And, and also, I spoke to the Rotary Club in Athens on Friday. And one of the things that I brought up, this team was so hard to predict, especially offensively. There was so many different players. Defensively, actually, wasn't overly difficult. But offensively, you had the quarterback battle, who who included three guys, and then you had like a dark horse candidate in Dylan Lonergan. But you had four different running backs, so you all felt like, I mean, and, and the way that Nick Saban talked about Justice Haynes, no one saw the limited this limited usage coming. No one. Uh, but then you also had Roy Dell, who had that seniority factor. He had been doing really good things in fall camp. He had seen a lot of action in the spring. Jace McClellan was the returning guy. It's like you're talking about, you know, and everybody loved Jam Miller, including both of us. So, you know, who do you go with as far as who's going to be the lead horse of that uh, running back room? And then the receivers. You've got so many different guys. If you think about it, the guy who should have been the projected starter at quarterback ended up being the quarterback. And Jalen Milrow, who was the guy that started last year, was the second-team guy, he ends up winning the job. The guy who was supposed to be the number one running back, Jace McClellan, has been the number one running back. You know, he was the guy that worked in tandem with Jameer Gibbs last year, did some good things. He has that three-down potential where you can kind of, you should be able to trust him in pass protection and you know he's a, an adequate receiver and he's a guy who runs hard and he's got that you know inside rushing ability with I th- with I think a little bit more juice to survive on the outside but then you look at the the receivers which might have been the toughest to project because you had I mean Isaiah Bond looked like a great breakout candidate uh you had Malik Benson the number one juco receiver five-star juco player that doesn't happen too often coming in and he brought all those explosive traits that we had loved about previous Alabama receivers. You had Ja'Cory Brooks, a former five-star, going into his junior season. You had Kobe Prentice, who had shown some things. You had Kendrick Law, who brought elements to the offense that was lacking otherwise. 
And then, you know, see, so it was very difficult to predict how the wide receiver room was going to pan out or shake out. But really, the guy who finished last year as the number one receiver, who was the trusted guy down the stretch last year, has continued to be that this year in Jermaine Burton. So if you really stop and think about it, all these, you know, skill positions outside of maybe tight end, even though we knew that CJ Dupree would probably be the number one, all these other positions, it kind of played out how you would think that it would. But yet, I mean, personally for me, I know we're a little bit off topic here, but I certainly, I didn't predict Jalen to be the starter preseason. I can fully admit that. I didn't predict Jace to finish as the number one running back. I thought one, I thought he would be the starter and would see the most action, but I thought we look back at the 2023 season and we say we would say that Justice Haynes was the best back in this room. And then when you looked at the receivers, I mean, I, I, I mean, I was a, by the end of it, I was a Malik Benson guy. I was a Kendrick Law guy. And some people might say, well, I was on Isaiah Bond or, you know, whatever. Very few people were on the whole Jermaine Burton being the number one receiver and being as dominant as he has been. And I just find that interesting. I love that that take because I was so much with you. We agree on a lot all the time. I, I thought, I famously thought, I said since December, Ty Simpson would be the starting quarterback. And then the summer I changed it well before the season started to, well, I think Milrow's going to start the year at quarterback and then Ty will take over. Uh, I was wrong about that. And why was I wrong? Milrow's been better than even I thought. I mean, Mil Milrow's done nothing to give up the job and Ty has done nothing to take it from him. Uh, whether in the practice field or his short stint against South Florida. Milrow's just been better. Uh, I thought the same thing with, with Jace. I thought, well, Jace will start out as the running back, and he'll do fine, but at some point, Justice or Jam are going to be too good, and we can't take him off the field. Well, what's happened? Jace has just been better. Jace has been a better player than I even suspected he would be. Burton, who I thought would also get overtaken by a Benson, by a Bond, uh, that hasn't happened. I mean, Burton is just the veteran guy, and uh, he's he's picked it up a notch. He's a better player than he was a year ago, more dependable, and uh, and is sort of you know on the cusp. I think of superstar status. It's just going to take a couple of big games against big opponents to continue what he did against Texas A&M. So I'm with you, Clint. I, I think on the one hand, it's not a surprise at all that Milrow, McClellan, and Burton have been the trio you know, in terms of the offensive skill guys, that's not surprising. But what is surprising to me is how they have held on to those spots almost to the detriment of others, where there hadn't been a lot of justice and jam. There hasn't been a lot of usage of the Kendrick Laws and the Kobe Prentices, uh, and, and none of the backup quarterbacks are in the picture at all because Milrow has played really well, uh, McClellan has played really well, and Jermaine Burton has stepped up in my mind to be a completely legitimate wide receiver number one. And uh, like I said, I, I think has a chance to be a day two pick. I think Jason McClellan's another guy very similar to Burton in the sense that right now, I mean, you know, if I had to bet, if we're all throwing five bucks in a hat, where's, where's McClellan going to go? I'm going to tell you he's going to go day three. But I think down the stretch, he's got, he's got a chance to move to day two. He's going to be at the Senior Bowl, and that's a great opportunity for him. I think he's going to test better than people think. Uh, but what he's missing is big-time performances against really good defenses, and he's going to have those opportunities here down the stretch. So I think not only have those guys had good seasons holding on to their job, Clint, there's still more that they can accomplish, particularly as it relates to the NFL. And I think if Alabama – makes it to Atlanta, Clint, uh, on offense, it's on the back of Jalen Monroe, Jace McClellan, and uh, uh, and Jermaine Burton at, at wide receiver. Yeah, and I mean, I, we've talked a little bit on the message boards about, you know, do we see some Justice Haynes and Jam Miller in this game against LSU uh, from a run-stopping ability perspective? you know, you would think that there would be some opportunities uh, to get them some carries and let them have some success, kind of like they did against Arkansas. But I think from a trust perspective, like you're already, I understand that Jalen Milrow has shown a ton of improvement. He's earned every bit of praise that he's gotten. Uh, as a really even the most confident fans in him, I think can at least admit that there's still, there always is that concern that there's going to be that, 
back-breaking mistake that could potentially happen. Not saying it really hadn't happened. Has he made mistakes? Yes, yes, but none that have been back-breaking in recent weeks at all. But you know that that potential is there. You know LSU has been opportunistic as far as they give up yardage, they give up the explosive plays. Uh, you know, but they still are able to generate turnovers, interceptions in particular on quarterbacks. And so you've got that that you got to keep in the back of your, your mind. And while I think Jam has got good ball security, there's been nothing to suggest that he doesn't. Same with Justice. I think both of those two guys, I'm not saying that either one of them have a fumbling issue, even though I think that is something that Justice could continue to improve on just based off of what I saw in high school and how he carries the football and stuff. Uh, I mean, you know, you look in this type of game and you say, we've got a, a natural advantage with the home crowd here. We can't spot LSU too many free opportunities. And if you've already got the risk of a Jalen Miro out there, because he is your guy, do you want to put another risk out there? Or do you want to more so just like against Tennessee? It was kind of the same concept, different reason. Wasn't necessarily that you were worried about the offense scoring a ton of points because they had struggled, but you worried about against the defense if uh, if they'd be able to hold up. And so you didn't really see any of them. Now, granted, I also think that that could have played out a little bit differently had Alabama not gotten down multiple scores early in the game because then you tighten everything up. Um, but it's just something to keep in mind because I don't think necessarily, and I could be wrong, and I have no problem if I am wrong, I want to see Justice and Jam get some more opportunities. But I wouldn't be shocked at all if we're talking next Monday and we say, you know, this was the McClellan Williams show. Well, it's what you would expect, right? I mean, I think coaches, people say it's a saving. It's not a saving thing at all. To me, it's just a coaching thing. I think when games get big, coaches lean on their veterans, the guys they trust the most. So to me, it's a Jace Roydell game. But it would be fun to get those other guys opportunities because I think the big play uh, which is what both of them bring to the table. I think the big play could be there against LSU. Uh, and, and as much as you might be listening to this show and saying, no, just just give justice the ball. Let, let's give it, let's give justice the ball eight times and just see what happens because he's so explosive and maybe he's got more juice than those guys. Uh, if you're looking forward to that, I, I would also ask you to close your eyes and imagine this. Uh, Harold Perkins is coming, and there's one person between him and, and Jalen Milrow, and that person is Justice Haynes. I mean, there, there's just no freshman back that's going to handle Harold Perkins running free on a uh, on a pass rush. So I, I think there's still some growth there. There's still some developing to do. But hey, he's on he's on track. Uh, there was a discussion just this morning on the uh, on the roundtable message board on BOL about hey, if you're Justice Haynes is going to go to Georgia and this stuff. But you know what I bring up about that is. What's he going to do? He's going to go to Georgia because he might be the starter there next year. He's going to be the starter at Alabama next year. I mean, he, he he's on track to be either running back one or no worse than running back two at Alabama. So why would he leave? Uh, you know, so I, that, that doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, plus, he's developing under the coach he wanted to play for. And Robert Gillespie every week in practice is making him a better player. I mean, that that needs to be the goal for every player, you know, I, I, I give some advice to some some QBs at, at QB country over my time there. And, uh, you know, the first piece of advice I always give all of them, I'll give to everybody listening to the show is, you know, worrying about recruiting is worrying about the wrong thing. If you make take the choice away from the college coaches that are evaluate, make them take you because you're such a good player. Focus on being a good player and the recruiting takes care of itself. You can bet that justice is focusing on the right thing which is improving and developing because maybe he's not ready for the SEC, but I'll tell you, I can promise you he's not ready for this. And that's the national football league. And you know, that's his goal is I want to be an NFL running back. Well, you got a lot of developing to do and a lot of improving to do. And you can do that on the practice field at Alabama and in the weight room and in the film room. Uh, there's a lot of ways you can develop an NFL game. So, I don't think that Justice or, or Jam are too upset. I, I think they're developing and they're on track to be the starters next year. But th this to me feels like Jason Roydell because that's who they're going to trust to get get you know sufficient blocking or, or as good a blocking as possible uh, in the backfield. And uh, they can both make plays, both catching the ball and uh, and running it. And again, I see a hundred yard game 
Uh, it's one of my predictions for this week that I, I'll, I'll lay out there on the board a few times this week. But uh, I feel like this is another 100-yard game for Jace, who's now building, in my mind, an all-SEC type season. Yeah, and I mean, it's – as far as, you know, justice and, and jam, I agree. I mean, there's just – there's no reason to think that after this season would not be the time to bail. You know, that it wouldn't make sense based off of where you would expect them to be in the spring, uh, in the summer, next, you know, in 2024, pretty much the entire year, they're going to be probably the main two guys along with Richard Young. I don't think he needs to be going anywhere either because I think there's room for three running backs. And I think running backs are more so willing to, you know, be part of a committee. If you can showcase your skill set and you can be put in the best position to be successful because you've got a, you know, a good offensive line in front of you. You've got a complimentary passing game. You've got an elite defense that's giving you, you know, keeping the score low, allowing you to get leads. And now you're getting, you know, some opportunities to kind of run clock in the second half, like game script wise, coaching staff, uh, the brand, all these different things. I mean, I, I, with the value of the running back position in the NFL, you kind of want to get, have limited tread on the tires when you get to the next level. Doesn't I mean Derrick Henry had a lot of tread and he's survived just fine and he's still been successful late into his career. Those are kind of the unicorns though. Uh that doesn't happen a ton. So I think it's more beneficial if you want to if you know what what NFL teams now are doing is, is they're taking a look, you know, it's about to be contract time. You're running back you you're coming off of your rookie deal. Najee Harris is going to be dealing with this in a year, in a year or two. And you're saying, okay, you know, what is what does the workload look like? What does the production look like? Can we get uh, what we've gotten out of this player through going with our own committee approach? You know, you, you got like a Michael Warren. I don't think his name's Michael. Um, I forget it. Warren is his last name. Uh, oh, no, Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah, Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah, Warren, good, very good player. Um, but you know, late round draft pick. Like, can we get a, a one of him? or a couple of him to do some different things. And do we have to pay Najee Harris a lot of money when we can use that money elsewhere? I mean, that's just, that's the kind of, we've seen it with, you know, Saquon Barkley, uh, you know, he ended up getting paid, but it was, uh, you know, it, Josh Jacobs, all these different running backs. They're just, you know, Dalvin Cook's a guy who's now trying to get traded after he didn't have much of a market. You just don't see too many guys uh, getting to that second contract. And it is beneficial if you're one of those guys and it should be beneficial for Josh Jacobs. It still hadn't been, uh, probably because he has seen such a big workload since he's gotten to the NFL. But one of the things that was working in his favor was the fact that he had limited usage in college. So you're like, you know, he should have a lot more tread on the tires compared to a lot of these other guys. So we'll see how that plays out. But I think when it comes to this game, uh, you know, particularly Alabama's offense versus LSU's defense, and it will be this way on the other side of the football as well. It's, you know, who gives, right? I mean, Alabama struggled to protect the quarterback. LSU struggled to get after the quarterback. You know, who at the end of the game, who ends up prevailing in that battle? Does Alabama continue to be the one that struggles, or is LSU the one that continues to struggle? You know, it, it's red zone, which I think is crucial. Now, granted, Alabama's actually been pretty good in the red zone as far as uh, percentages uh, of scores, but they're, I think, number 77 in the country as far as they're only scoring a touchdown just under 50% of the time, or excuse me, just under 60% of the time. At the same time, you've got LSU's red zone defense. They're giving up a touchdown over 70% of the time, which is ranked outside of the top 100. Uh, so it's like if Alabama, that's been a huge struggle for Alabama, is getting in the red zone and having to settle for field goals. And against this LSU offense, I don't think you can do that. I think you've got to score touchdowns. The good news is LSU's defense has been really, really bad of if you get in the red zone, you're probably scoring a touchdown. And so can Alabama, um, you know, be better as far as converting red zone trips into touchdowns against a very vulnerable defense in that area? It's like who gives on that front? Who gives as far as third down percentage, even though Alabama's been pretty good in that area? Uh, you know, it's, it's all these different things. And so I find it fascinating to compare because the teams match up so well for this to be a very even match. And I'll be curious to see how it plays out. Yeah, every reason to suspect it's going to be high scoring. 
everything's relative, right? And a high-scoring game, as far as I'm concerned, for <laughs> that Alabama's involved in, Clint, is a game where both teams are around the 30-point figure or maybe even a little higher. Uh, and I think that that's very possible, if not probable, uh, with this matchup this weekend, Clint. So if both teams are scoring in the 30s or near 30, threes aren't going to cut it. There has to be sevens because you don't want to bring threes to a high-scoring football game. You need to bring sevens. And uh, that, so it's imperative that Alabama take advantage and uh, and score touchdowns in the red zone. And if it sputters out around midfield, then it's imperative that Reichard uh, maybe adds a little range, right? I mean, because you need points on virtually every possession. But the sevens will be, uh, will be big and big to come by. But uh, in the end, I, I like Alabama's chances on, on offense in this game to help win this game on offense. It would be nice to get off to a good start. Uh, I don't know that any Alabama fan want, wants to sit through uh, the LSU game again down 21 to 7 at, at halftime or, or 28 to 10 at the half. Because what I will be concerned about myself, Clint, is, you know, I think Alabama's got the juice here to come back and score and, and and get back into this game by scoring. But you've got to do that while preventing them from scoring. Because once you're behind, you can't keep giving up scores or, or the math doesn't work. So uh, not getting in a hole like they got against down against Tennessee and like they've been down in some other games would be nice. That means getting off to a good start on offense, running the ball, keeping the ball, keeping the ball. That's why I think running the ball – is, is necessary this weekend. Yeah, I think Alabama's going to have success throwing it. I think Burton's going to have a big game. I think Milrow's going to have a pretty big game. But Alabama wins the game behind Jace McClellan and Roy Dell Williams having big games on the ground and Milrow using his legs because that means the clock's moving and Alabama's keeping the ball. I think that's the formula for Saturday. Yeah, you want to keep this LSU offense off the field as much as possible. And that, to a degree, you don't want to – make that the primary focus necessarily uh, because you believe in your own ability to score against their defense. You don't want to do anything where it's like you think you can take advantage of some opportunities and you're instead trying to run clock. Uh, but at the same time, I do completely agree with you where the, the less you allow them to be on the field, the better your chances are limit the number of drives that they're able to have. And when you look at Arkansas and Ole Miss and Missouri, like some of these teams that you would say, okay, these have been some of their tougher tests. Uh, you know, Florida State, obviously, even though they're out of conference, same thing. Florida State puts up 45 against them. Uh, Arkansas puts up 31, despite almost a non-existent rush, uh, run game this year. Uh, and the fact that they have, you know, Dan Enos was awful, still puts up 31 points in that game. Ole Miss scores 55. Uh, Missouri scores 39. So it's like, you know, Auburn only 18, Army doesn't score a point, Grambling scores 10, uh, how that happens, I don't know, uh, Mississippi State scores 14. These are all offenses that you really can't compare to Alabama. Like, and I don't even know that right. you can compare some of these others, but you can look and say, I you know, they're bigger opponents. They give up a lot of points. And some of those may be defensive touchdowns. I haven't gone through and to see, uh, but I will say the bottom line is, is they give up points. And I think there's opportunities for Alabama to score some. Uh, because this offense, despite the fact that it just it it doesn't look good on paper, I mean, passing offense number seventy eight, rushing offense seventy eight, uh, scoring offense outside the top fifty, number fifty one. Uh, like I said, not great at converting red zone trips to touchdowns. Uh, I've allowed fifty five tackles for loss, which ranks outside of the top one hundred sacks allowed. Thirty five, which is number one twenty eight out of one hundred and thirty three schools. Uh, you know, so there's. There's some concern as far as Alabama's offense, but just against this LSU defense, we've seen Alabama's offense have success and have, you know, it's not like it's uh, you have the three and outs and Alabama can't have many of those. Like I, I think that if in an ideal world, Alabama wins the coin toss defense goes out there with an energized, you know, not art. It's already nighttime at six forty-five. I mean, it gets dark early now, so it's going to be night from pretty much the opening snap. Uh, defense goes out there, holds, you know, forces LSU to punt. The offense now is out there, and if they can put up a field goal or a touchdown or whatever, 
knowing that they get the football after the half, I mean, you would really have that place rocking uh, if, if those things can happen. If your offense has to go out there first, it goes three and out. Uh, then, you know, it's kind of the Tennessee kind of thing where Tennessee's offense went right down the field. If LSU's offense can do the same, you're looking at a not a, a very good way to start. And that spiral very quickly. Give Alabama credit for being able to write that ship in the second half. But you can't expect them to just keep doing that. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, Alabama doesn't need to let itself be in that situation again. And hopefully they're able to avoid it. But we will be talking about the two really good sides of the football for both these two teams, which is Alabama's defense and LSU's offense. And we'll probably be doing that either tomorrow or Wednesday, uh, depending on scheduling. But Jimmy, this has been a great conversation. I feel like it's been, you know, hopefully it's been informative. And uh, do you have anything else before we hop out of here? No, I'm just saying the buildup to this game is going to be so much of the fun of this game. Uh, it's been a two-week break. It's a bit of a Super Bowl-type buildup every year. Game day is going to be here. Uh, it's the biggest game in the country, in my opinion. It's it's very, very, very likely to decide who wins the SEC West and gets that shot at Georgia in Atlanta. Uh, a lot on the line, but there's a lot to discuss because the buildup's going to be so much fun. This is Alabama LSU, and there's a reason that CBS, before the season even started, said we want our primetime game uh, on Alabama LSU weekend because they, 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 they knew that's how predictable, that's how good these programs are. They knew what the game of the year in this league was going to be, and that's why they picked it out this summer. So uh, I can't wait to spend uh, four more days talking it up uh, with you, Clint, and, uh, and on the, the roundtable, give me a message board at uh, Bama Online. Yeah, it, uh, th- this game's going to be a lot of fun. And can you imagine what the narrative is going to be if Brian Kelly wins again? And now Nick Saban is 0-2 against him uh, since joining the SEC. Everybody's going to say Brian Kelly was the better coach. He just didn't have what he needed in South Bend. Goes to a comparable program at LSU, and now he's, you know, Nick Saban can't get a win against him. You know, it's it's like you want to avoid that conversation altogether. And I'm just warning fans, that's what's going to happen. That's not, you know, right. I'm, I'm not making any comments or anything like that, but the, you're going to hear a lot of that if Alabama loses. You're going to hear from LSU people, but you're you're even going to hear from the national media. So be prepared for that if something does happen. But what's fun is that we're going into this game and we don't know if Alabama's going to win. You know, it's not <laughs> a it's not a well, Alabama's going to win. Do they cover the spread? You know, it's it's we don't know, and that has made this season interesting. Uh, it's caused. Alabama fans quite a bit of stress I'm sure that they would kind of for some of these games like to go back to the we're up 24 points at halftime and can kind of relax and enjoy the beat down in the second half but that's just that's not what this team is and when you look back if Alabama can win this type of game and and beat an Auburn and a Kentucky on the road we can't forget about them uh and you know maybe beat a Georgia maybe make it to the playoffs if Alabama wins a national championship We'll look back at all these moments and say, man, that was actually a lot of fun. You know, there were some fun games, some stressful games in there, but there was a lot of fun games in there. That was, that was a fun season. And people will probably look back at this team and think very fondly of it. Uh, but yeah, this has already been a good conversation. Uh, I know it will continue once we get to the other sides of the football. So stay tuned for that. And we appreciate you guys tuning in.